When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. My name is Jake Berlin, and today I'm joined by Kevin Gentry and Lou Cirillo. And today we're going to be talking about the OODA loop which is a decision-making framework originally defined and designed by U.S. Air Force Colonel, um, commonly applied to military situations and business strategizing, but also interesting in the context of product management. What is it? What is the OODA loop? It's a four-step process, um, starting with observe, orient, decide, and then act. Observing, you're, you're collecting data from multiple sources, the second step, orienting, you're filtering, analyzing, really trying to observe that information you just collected and try to get your bearings. Uh, the third step, decide, pretty self-explanatory. You need to make a decision based on that data and how you've oriented, um, and then take action based on those decisions. And then the, the, the theory is those actions will create new conditions, which you need to observe, then orient around, then decide what to do and act. So you're probably thinking, well, that sounds kind of kind of similar to the Lean Startup model or iterative product management, and that's because it is, um, but with a few few different nuances. So, uh, Kevin or Lou, what what are your what are your impressions about the OODA loop? Is there is there a relevance for product management? What stands out to you about um, this decision making framework? I think what jumped out at me early on, and and I think this is I think it's probably the difference between what we'd say a a good product manager is and a great product manager. I think good product managers look at the product, decide on a course of action, pursue it, kind of see where they end up at the end, at the end of everything, right? Whereas I think the OODA loop framework is about continuously evaluating throughout the entire process and updating your decision-making in real time. A lot of times I think people get really committed to an idea or to a feature or to a product in, as a whole, and they'll fight tooth and nail to get to the predefined endpoint that they already saw. But as they're going down that path, they're not observing what's around them and seeing how everything changes in the process of, hey, we've launched this little iterative piece. You know, it's almost in the way the difference between, you know, some people kind of they're agile, but they're kind of waterfally, if that makes sense. Where the agile for where the agile cycle is just too long. I think this kind of encourages you to break it up a little more. Yeah. So in that case, like how frequent do you uh, implement this loop? Like, is this a daily thing? Is this a um, weekly thing? Like, is there a time associated with it, or is just as we act, we learn more, and then we continue down this path? 
I think for my perspective, it, there are a couple different contexts in which to use it. I think there's the broader strategic context, which I think that the time frame is much longer. Um, kind of to lose point, you're building, you're launching, and the launching of a product will introduce new variables and new new obser- observable data um, with which you need to start making new decisions and probably learning new things, honestly, about what that data shows. I think the other interesting context that this loop can be used in is in almost kind of the, the firefighting crisis mode um, that product product managers often mm. find themselves where your product goes belly up and you're saying, oh, shit, I don't really know what's going on here, but we need to figure it out. We need to figure it out fast. I think kind of one of our recent episodes, we talked about crisis management. And I think this is this perhaps is a framework that can be applied to some of those situations. But I think. To answer your question, Kevin, I think I think it really kind of depends on the situation, but it's it's broadly applicable um, in a number of different different ways. Yeah, I think like um, the the is this? I guess one question I have is this a framework to implement, or is this a codifying um, the human response? That's really interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I think, like I think it seems like something naturally both. that we do, right? Like yeah. as, as people, but um, understanding, becoming aware of the way our brain works in certain situations right. maybe helps us um, navigate that better or, or at least maybe like sit better with us mentally um, that we can, you know, step, take a step back and like, Oh yeah, I'm in the decision OODA loop um, yeah. phase. So yeah. I need to, you know, I need to make a, a decision on what to do. Um, but I think for me, when I look at this loop, I think I, I agree. I think, I think it's, it kind of does codify kind of the natural process. I do think though, what this loop does a good job of is it really calls out the orient step. Um, I think of mm-hmm. the four, that's probably the one that gets dropped where it's like, all right, data, all right, action or like decision make a decision really fast. And you're not really considering taking a step back, especially in high pressure situations where you are under pressure to make a decision quickly. Yeah. Like what level of gut do you kind of lean on versus like the data that you orient? Like what, what's uh, analysis paralysis or yeah, exactly. Right. I feel like that's the art is in that orient phase of how long do you spend looking at data, taking that step back, putting everything up on the board and trying to get the whole picture. Because, yeah, I think the risk is what you're talking about. You run into that paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that I would love to talk more about that orient phase. Um, Like how, I guess in your day-to-day, how often do you guys feel that, you know, the information is, is going against your gut like it is the going going with your gut the initial um gut reaction is that usually the way to go or does that data dissuade your gut like does it ever like change um i'm I'm curious to see what you guys think about that i think i think it's always good to change gut decisions but i think sometimes you know, as a PM, right, it, it's never cut and dry. You can orient yourself. You can analyze data. You can have a circular pattern of if this, then this, then this. And then you can repeat that and go, well, but if I did this, then it's this and this and this and this, right? And ultimately, um, actually, I just had a, a PM 
on and our company reach out and you know i i kind of feel like we're getting a little too into the weeds and there's a lot of decision making that needs to happen for a pretty high high profile project and i think it's one of those ones where you need to kind of like step back maybe just make a decision and get yourselves moving so that way you can get to that OODA loop process of reevaluating, right? Let's, let's make a yeah, little bit of progress exactly. and yeah. then let's reevaluate kind of as it, I think it's a way to say like as much as orienting and everything else, sometimes you do have to use your gut to just get the first step. And it's about not taking that first step and turning it into a leap. It's about making it a step. I mean, the data that comes back once you start moving yeah. is so much more insightful than the data, the static, uh, uh, static data, right? When you're just standing still, like moving in some direction is better than not moving at all. But I think that orient step really helps you kind of mitigate the risk of moving in the wrong direction. I think it, it's kind of, kind of this whole PM skill that I think we've talked about quite a bit, which is making the best decision possible with limited information and having a very clear understanding of what level of information you need to make that decision. Yeah. And that gets better, right? I I think with experience as you go through a lot of these, but to lose point, the more cycles, more decisions we make, the more we learn from it, the better we get at it. So, so, you know, don't get stuck in that orient phase, I think is kind of like uh, one takeaway from here, but, but know how to orient fast. Yeah. It's almost like, taking many smaller steps is better than taking fewer larger steps, right? It's because like you give yourself more opportunities to pivot and observe and orient if you're taking baby, baby steps or smaller steps. I mean, I think to use a sports analogy, you can tell me to mute if we don't want sports analogies, (laughs) but the, the person that comes to mind is Lionel Messi. Like he is successful because he takes like three steps for everybody else's one step. He's his, his ability to change direction and make more. He has, he puts himself in a position to make more decisions than his opponents do just by virtue of taking more steps. So he can change direction faster. He can read the field more often than his opponents can, and he can make those decisions more often than anyone else in the field can, which gives him more options. Yeah, that's, that's a great analogy there. Sports uh, or, or not, you know, I think that's, uh, that's pretty translatable there. So what, what about some of these other phases here that we can maybe do a deep dive in, deep dive in, like decide? Um, when, when is the right time to decide in this phase, in this loop, right? Because I think we talked about paralysis analysis and, and, you know, the timeliness of making decisions. Um, it, it, do you guys run into scenarios where you've made quick decisions and uh, you know, it was the wrong one. <laughs> I'm assuming. Yes. But like how, how quickly did you guys understand that that was like, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, maybe if you could use a real life example um, of what, you know, a decision you made quickly and then, you know, it wasn't the right decision to make um, retrospectively. If any that comes to mind. You guys are always right, I'm sure. <laughs> you always well, make the right decision. <laughs> no, I think I think an order of operations thing is is always the same, right? I, I'm gonna well kind of this is kind of an interesting scenario that we've had, and Jake is part of this process too, but around the end of last year, we kind of made the des- decision using our new affiliate 
rails that we needed to, that we launched a bunch of new partners. Um, at the time, uh, I think prior to that, I'd been kind of proposing a let's fix a whole bunch of underlying systems issues. And we kind of were balancing the pressure of launching more partners with the, um, you know, it, we didn't really have the visibility into the issues, like the people who were working on the project knew the issues, but outwardly everybody else kind of didn't really seem to care. So we're kind of, you know, fast forward to now where it's kind of the exact opposite, right? Everybody cares about the issues. They don't really care as much about the retailers. And so I think at the time, it may have been the best decision, but in hindsight, right, you kind of look back and you go, well, if we did really commit to fixing those issues, you know, how, like how much more benefit did we get because we had the X amount more retailers versus not? And, you know, it's probably, what do they say, six, it's half one way, half another, something of that nature. So I, I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think you can ever have, Progress is progress a lot of times. And as long as you aren't fully breaking something in the process, and even when you are, I wouldn't call that a mistake as much as I would call it learnings. And, you know, what it is progress and learnings versus like um, um, progress and the right decisions. Right. Yeah. I mean, you made the right decision at the time. um, But that decision also has consequences. But sometimes those consequences expose things that, you would not have put on your radar in the first place. And as a result, you end up with a better product because you listened and because you adjusted. But sometimes if you never try it. Yeah. Like if you don't, if you make the decision, you go forward with the product, but then you don't revisit, like you don't restart this OODA loop, then yeah, it could have uh, pretty bad consequences. Does that, how, how often does that happen in a normal product? Uh, organization that, that, you know, you go through this OODA loop, you make some decisions, you, you have a, a product that's out there that just is out there now. And then you're, you're not kind of revisiting it. I would say a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was fishing for, for a good answer there. For that answer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. And I don't think, I think this is just kind of the, the natural tendency of fast moving high growth companies. Like I've experienced this in multiple places um, where you have these grand intentions of going in and following something like the OODA loop where you're iterating your way through a problem. Um, but by the time you get that MVP or MMVP or V1 out there, whatever the case may be, like strategic context and the environment has shifted um, within the company and just given kind of the market environment. And I've experienced it a number of times where you're just like, all right, on to the next. We got to go do this other thing. And then you've got this kind of like hacked together product out there that is fulfilling the use case or use cases that you set up to fulfill or validate the hypothesis that you originally posed. But is it scalable? Is it going to give you options to be nimble and maneuver quickly down the road? Probably not. Right. But that was like, that was the bargain that we, that we signed up for when we originally launched thing. Like we need to get this thing out there so we can validate our hypothesis and see if Mm -hmm. we're right and be nimble and do all these things. 
oh, it's out there, it's working, and it's doing those things. Okay, let's move on. Like, well, hang on a minute, hang on a mm-hmm. minute. Like, we we got to iterate iterate our way a little bit more and go go back through that cycle of collecting learnings. What's the what's, what's the risk of you know <laughs> launching a bunch of these products and hypotheses and ideas and not revisiting those? Like, I, I would assume at some point it becomes a little messy. Oh, totally. I think it gets to a place where you can't, your ability to move is so hindered by the restrictions you introduce with those earlier stage products. Because oftentimes those products are built not to be malleable. They're designed to be very narrow in scope and limited in functionality because they're specifically designed to validate a very specific hypothesis. Mm-hmm. But like none of us can predict the futures. So oftentimes what I mean, really good products give your give your team options down the road to make decisions mm-hmm. that we don't know we need to make yet, right? It's like we just need to give ourselves doors to walk through. We don't know which doors they are, but we want to give ourselves all the ability to make choices. Um and when you don't yeah, I guess do like that, how, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. When you don't do that you're kind of stuck with the choice you made at the start and you have to kind of go back. I mean, this is what tech debt's all about really is kind of giving yourself the ability to make choices down the road as they, as they come up. Yeah. I'd love to have a a session here on tech debt and yeah, there's so much (laughs) we can talk about there. Um, I think like, how do you, how do you as an like two sessions on tech debt because already, and there's still more to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, I got, I got a question. Maybe this one's for you, Lou, like how as an organ, a product organization, how at at scale, right? A product organization that's growing, how do you guys avoid, you know, creating too much of that, um, and, and to stay nimble and are there success stories out, out, outside? Um, I can think of a couple like Apple, for example, that, that, that kind of get away from that, or do they like, I guess, yeah. How do you kind of manage that and, and be successful without getting into like this death spiral of tech debt and experience rot? And, um, you know, um, just curious to get, get your take on that. I think it's, there's kind of an age old question, I think when, and it's when you, you look at a product and sometimes you wonder how many times can I put lipstick on a pig? Right. <laughs> and, that's why we see companies, I think, constantly reversion, right? There's V1, then there's V2, then there's V3. And sometimes it, it's a complete re-architecture. Um, a company that I was working with when I was a software engineer ended up moving to from a dedicated desktop application to a full web service um, application. Completely shift, um, you know, in that framework. And you had a whole, and like that's so like, you know, that's massive, but there's reasons why companies do this. And I think that's how they avoid it is eventually they look at something that's, you know, you can only band-aid it so many times. You can only wrap the pipe so much and it's still leaking. And eventually you decide to do an overhaul. And I think that's the natural part. And that's the natural way of things. It's kind of like any old car. You can keep them running for so long, but every once in a while you trade in and get a new one. And, and are there any like signs that, that this is happening? Like, is there a sign to say like, oh, we should consider this 
any oh, data yeah. points. Yeah, I mean, poor user experience stuff. Like if, if your user experience is just not getting better, despite how many incremental improvements you make, if you have, uh, let's say, errors and flaws on the back end that you don't know how to fix, or maybe the system code is four or five, six years old, and the people who originally wrote it are no longer at the company anymore, and it spends you, and it takes every initiative takes four times as long just to figure out how the problem is before even trying to fix it. So, you know, um, the upside down product, nice, Jake. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think the signs are pretty relatively obvious. I want to coin a phrase. We should trademark this as a product coffee registered trademark. The upside down product, kind of like an upside down loan or an underwater underwater loan where you're... you're <laughs> I love it. The product is not worth as much as the effort you're putting into it. And yep. I think we could probably have a long conversation about how to identify that point. We should call uh, that episode the end game. <laughs> Ooh. We're rolling. Yeah, yeah rolling. Um, well, that man, we can we can talk forever. I I love this. Um, it, it, with you know, with our time kind of coming to a close here, any kind of homework assignments that we can give to our user base around OODA loops or or you know um, anything that we've talked about today. I think I like what Jake said the most. Regardless of what framework you used. OODA loop, uh, agile, this, that, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It's all, all similar. The, the key thing is avoid that decision paralysis, right? Um, orient yourself, but at the end of the day, you still got to move forward. So, you know, don't let it hold you back. Yeah, I think to, to kind of provide the counter to that, what I would offer as a suggestion is don't enter a data conversation with preconceived notions, don't make a decision before you see the data. So come into a data conversation with zero understanding, total humility, and just let the pieces tell what they may. Yeah, I would say I'm going to take a different approach here, but have your gut guide the orientation phase. So, so lean with, and you know, this will get better over time as you gain more experience, but your gut is, is more than likely leading you in the right direction. So, so at least start there, um, when you start orienting the data and then as you learn more, you know, the gut, the gut can change, but, um, that would be my advice there, but it looks like we've, uh, finished up our coffee. So, um, please go rate, subscribe, share, um, whatever you can to kind of spread the, the good word over here at product coffee, um, and, and share your experiences or any questions or topics you want us to cover. I'm happy to do so. So, um, please, please comment on the socials and, and anywhere that you can reach us. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, go level up. Mm-hmm.